Welcome to the International Association of Business Communicators Amina Region podcast. This is Monique Zitnik. And I'm Ross Monaghan. Russ, thank you so much for joining us as a co-host on this special episode, just in time for International Women's Day. And for our listeners who may not yet know Ross, he is a fellow IABC member and IABC APAC Region Board member, as well as being a communication lecturer at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia. So Ross, would you like to share what we've got up our sleeve for our global listeners today? Yes, look, I think we've got a treat for our listeners. We're going behind the scenes of our Inspiring Women event, which we held here in Melbourne, Australia. It's all about the stories and strategies that can empower women in the workplace. I guess at its at its essence, it's all about leadership. But let's first hear some thoughts from our Amina region. Uh, we have Karen Matthews and Catalina Garascu, who are the chair and the vice chair of the IABC Amina region board. Karen's calling from Barcelona in Spain and Catalina's in Bucharest, Romania. So Karen, you're focusing on mentorship and also leadership. And what are your thoughts? Why is inspiring women so important? Thank you so much, Monique. As you've said, I'm connecting in from Barcelona in Spain, which is where my career in communications has taken me over the years, following some stints in Australia, Canada and Vietnam. And now I currently head up communications and engagement at the European hub of RMIT University, where I'm also a member of the leadership team. And 60% of the leadership roles at our hub in Barcelona are filled by women. I'm committed to diversity and inclusion, gender equality and mentoring, as you've said, as ways to support and empower women. So in response to your question, why is inspiring women so important? I think it can be put quite simply. Women and girls represent half of the world's population and therefore also half of its potential. So it's essential that women are inspired and empowered to bring the unique contribution we offer to tackle global and planetary challenges. And mentoring and networks for women support this. These are spaces where we can share inspiring stories and experiences. And you've mentioned International Women's Day, which is coming up soon. And it was recently the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. And this is a field where women are still extremely underrepresented. Networks also help to inspire and support The incredible work done by women and um, a special mention to Julia Middleton, the founder of Women Emerging and Common Purpose. So Women Emerging, of which I'm a member, is a non-profit movement working around the world to encourage, inspire and support women in and into leadership. So definitely there's a lot that has been done, but of course, there's still more to do. And I think we really have a responsibility as leaders to set a path for the next gen where Days aren't necessarily needed to celebrate brilliant women around the world. And it's just the norm where women and girls belong and are inspired to succeed. And I recently listened to Anya Khan, a 10-year-old girl who spoke at the UN's fourth International Day of Women and Girls in Science at the United Nations. And in Anya's words, today there are still t-shirts and bags in shops that say, Girls can do anything. When I see those messages, I think to myself, isn't that obvious? Of course, girls can do anything. It's such a clear truth. Why aren't there t-shirts that say boys can do anything? I hope in my lifetime, there will be no need for such things as girls' days. It will just be science and technology for all. Monique, thank you so much for this opportunity. And also thanks to you for all the work that you do in inspiring women. 
Thank you so much, Karen. That's such an inspiring story. I love the idea of having a boys can do anything t-shirt as well with my two boys. And Catalina, what has inspired you as a leader? I um, wanted to say a few words about some of the experiences that I've had as a woman in the marketing office of an independent institution where I started in my 20s as a secretary. And um, I have to be honest, I didn't have uh, ideas to push myself forward. The only idea I had was to work hard and concentrate on what I was doing. Ten years after I started uh, in that role, I was already coordinating the sales office of the institution and pretty much doing the work of the sales and marketing department. The um, head of the department, who was a male, uh, was a wonderful gentleman. Um, and I don't necessarily hold him accountable for this, but it was quite disheartening that I was doing a lot of the work and had no place at the table with the team that was making decisions. So everything had to be filtered through him. And um, at some point when he was getting ready to leave, I felt like it was my uh, place and my moment to go to the head of the institution and ask to lead the department. And I remember this moment distinctly when I was told that um, maybe it's not the moment, maybe he didn't know whether I was the right person. And I, and I kept making the case that, you know, I've been doing all this work and I know that there was somebody else that was bringing it to the table, but I was doing all this work. And I remember being told to my face the words, yes, but he is the man of the office. And it's been 10 other years since then. And um, I, I still remember the office, the what I was wearing, what the director was wearing, how we were sitting, which if you think about it a little bit is akin to a little bit of PTSD. But anyway, so I guess put my head down and um, because I had a young child at home and I was in the middle of a divorce and there was a lot of turmoil around. And so I put my head down, continued my work. Uh, soon after, the head of the department that I was in left. And he, fortunately, the director was changing at the same time. And I was, I was fortunate enough to then work in an organization, even though it was the same one, with a leader who actually valued professionals, good professionals. It didn't really matter where whether they were women or uh, men, but he, he saw the, the value. And I wanted to mention him because he was not the kind of person that would just, you know, smile and nod. He was tough and he was honest and he would look in, in the face and just say, um, you know, this is the truth. This is what I think. This is what um, I think about what you produced. And I wanted to, to speak about a piece of feedback that he gave me that pushed me, I feel, on a better trajectory. So at some point uh, in our first meetings, I had, I had already chatted with him about my plans for the department and he made it clear to the board that he wasn't asking for permission. He was promoting me to the head of the department. And at some point he said, can I give you a piece of feedback? but it's not going to be easy to hear. And so, you know, by that time, I had already started to trust him enough to know that that piece of feedback was coming from a good place. So I said, please go ahead. So he had me stand up, take a few steps back and said, um, you know, think about the way that you are dressed. 
And immediately I went into a place where I was very triggered. And he said, uh, you know, make sure you present yourself in the way that you want others to perceive you. And so, you know, just analyze what you're wearing right now, which, you know, wasn't something truly office <laughs> And, um, you know, think about how you would like others to see you. I started to pay attention to the way that I presented myself, not just, you know, we, we then went to talk about the way that I display emotions, the way that, and, and all these meetings were hard, but they molded me. And granted, I didn't fix everything and I didn't, you know, obviously there are some things that you can't change about yourself. But um, what made that feedback stick with me was the fact that I trusted this gentleman and that I saw in him the respect that he gave to, to women. Um, I think one of the hardest things that we have to do as women in the workplace is to walk the middle line between going too far towards the, I'm a woman, you need to look at me differently. I've been, you know, put in a corner for such a long time and kind of, you know, going somewhere into a pity party for our past challenges and the continuum, which would be really trying to, to, to create power moves and to have this, um, to walk all the way into the masculine energy kind of world, if I, if I can call it that way. I think there is a huge value in um, feminine energy in the workplace, in management teams. So um, I hope that the future involves a lot more diversity. And um, I want to encourage everyone to do two things. First of all, to be present in their reality and pay attention to what is around them. And the second thing is to go deep down inside and find that truth that every one of us can spot about ourselves. As days go by, that will grow. And before you know it, you will be the most honest version of yourself. Thank you so much, Catalina and Karen, for sharing your thoughts. So, Ross, you know that moment when you meet someone and you hear even just a little bit of their story and you feel so inspired? Mm-hmm. Well, I met Marina Farmer and it was over lunch and she started telling me some of her stories and experiences and I got insights into just the decisions that she'd made, what she'd learned. And I thought of all the people that I've mentored or managed or coached globally over the years and the number of them that would benefit from hearing from her and hearing what she had to say because so many of them suffer doubt and lack of confidence about their work in the workplace and most of them are women. Mm. And so I gave you a call, Ross. Yeah, look, I, and most of my students in my communication degree are women as well. And look, I've been finding those same sort of issues, those self-doubt, the imposter syndrome issues. So when we were talking, we, I thought of a couple of really inspiring women and graduates from my program that I know. Some of them weren't graduates. They were just inspiring women in their own right. We thought about Natalie Collard, Tinika Everard, Sally Goldner, and a lot of others who weren't part of the panel session but joined us as guests of the session. Uh, unfortunately, I think it was too far for Angela Merkel and <laughs> Julia Gillard and um, Jacinta Arden to join us. But 
it was a stellar event. And so we thought that if we could take some of this inspiration and mm. uh, of these these women and share it and just inspire one person to step up or to lead differently or to support someone else, and then we could just make a small difference that could grow. So thank you to all of our listeners who are on the line right now and, and to our guests as well. And I'd also like to thank the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of this land where we are today and where we had the event. And I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the elders, both past and present and future of the Kulin Nation and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians and Torres Strait Islanders who might be listening. And in Australia, just for our non-Australian guests, it is quite common for us to do an acknowledgement of country and to recognise and pay respects to the original um, traditional custodians of the land. So, Ross, I'm curious. I mean, we're going to be playing um, some parts from the recording of the event, but I just wanted to quickly check in with you what your highlights were. Look, there are a couple of recurring themes. I think one of them came up really early when uh, Natalie Collard gave us a bit of a story about avocado uh well wasn't avocado was it really but she she talked about um taking a bite of what she thought was avocado and it wasn't you could probably guess what it was um and she talked about how she had made a mistake in front of some people and how she recovered from that and look her message was you know be brave have a go and make mistakes um but importantly i think she talked about owning your mistakes to to learn from them and she also talked about playing to your strengths, which I think was important. I agree. And I found that so inspiring because there was a lot of discussion about once you own your mistake, once you own what you've done, that you can actually learn from it. And it's only a mistake if you do it again. And did you have any other highlights there at all? Yeah, look, I think, you know, learning to listen was another one. And another recurring theme from all of the speakers, I think, was listen not only to your gut. And there was a lot of discussion about, you know, the importance of, you know, listening to your gut, but listen to your heart as well. And I think they were really important messages, which are really important in leadership. And the other thing, the other really key theme that went through was the need to be yourself as a leader. And I think that applies to any leader, regardless of the gender. Um, I think, was it Sally? And I hope our listeners will pick out exactly who it was, but I'm pretty sure it was Sally who quoted Oscar Wilde, who said, you've got to be yourself because everybody else is taken. Taken, yeah, absolutely. And that really... That really struck me as well as uh, Maria was talking about the need to be unique. So it's about finding out your unique Mm. leadership style, your unique you, you're passionate about, and then dialing that up and, again, owning it. Miley Miley Cyrus was even quoted, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But shall we jump into the the event? I think that's a good idea. We'd like to take our listeners all the way down to Australia, down to Melbourne, which is the city most south before we hit Tasmania. And we go down to the newly constructed Docklands in the CBD. And once you arrive, and it's a pretty busy kind of uh, shopping food court area, you go up to the level 12 in the second tower, lots of glass and shiny surfaces. 
and you walk into the events room and there's this giant white spiral staircase in the middle and if you walk to the left that's where the event was with lots of people standing around beforehand grabbing little bits of finger food and then heading into the room chatting loudly. So Tinica is um, one of my former students from Deakin. Uh, Tinica has had an absolutely amazing career in journalism and is now a corporate communicator and a mum, a recent mum. We were just talking about the, that amazing experience. So Tinica's worked at uh, Channel 7, Channel 9. She's worked in corporate communication roles at Priceline. Um, she's worked as the media manager for the state opposition leader here in Victoria and now has her own business, Everlist. Tinika, thank you for being a part of this session. Take thank it away. Thank you very much, Rod. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. Um, as you know, I am a bit of an overachiever. <laughs> I like to do everything all at once, and I'm sure that you'll probably share that with me as well. Look, I'm really blown away by the stories of the women here today who you're about to meet. Um, I've heard a little bit of their story and I was absolutely um, in awe. So you're in for an incredible day. Uh, the fact that you're all here today tells me that you want the winning edge, which I think is so important to get ahead. You're prepared to go ahead, uh, go above and beyond to have a point of difference. When I first got into news, I said to myself, look, everyone in this course wants to be on TV, every single person, and it is a really difficult industry to get into. But I said to myself, I've got to back me and I've got to believe. If I can believe, I will achieve. And I ended up getting that first foot in the door through knocking on enough doors. Every single one of these women has achieved really great success through self-belief. Firstly, we have Maria Farmer one of the most experienced and formidable women in public relations. Her company specialises in brand building, crisis management, publicity and public relations, offering bespoke solutions. She's represented some huge names like Baz Luhrmann, actors, lifestyle and fashion brands all flock to her. Thank you so much for being here today. Pollard is the founder and CEO of Torts Group and who offers human-centred executive coaching and leadership training. She's also the CEO for Food and Fibre Great South Coast on a mission to grow the southwest region of Victoria and its high potential primary industries. Natalie's previous roles include CEO of Australian Dairy Farmers and Chair of Women in Renewables. Bit of an applause for Natalie as well. Thank you a diversity educator, speaker, life coach, MC, you should be up here, and consultant. <laughs> Her previous and current roles include founding member of Transgender Victoria, co-facilitating Trans Family, 3CRs, Out of the Pan, and Bisexual Alliance Victoria, Treasurer. Amazing. Sally has, has received an Order of Australia, the 2015 LGBTI Victorian of the Year and joined the Victorian Women's Honour Roll in 2016. Thank you, Sally. <laughs> the credentials of these women, I would love to chat to them about their journey to getting there. Um, now, throughout the session, please raise your hand if you have a burning question, um, but at the end we'll do a bit of a Q&A as well. 
So let's start with Maria. <laughs> Hi, Michelle. My friend from the age of 15. I started my PR career when I was a single mother of a five-month-old daughter. And I got offered a job and I didn't even know what PR was. And I come from a family of seven children and wanted to get out of home really early. So I got married at 18, divorced at 21, and then headed off into this career. So I keep, you know, I move pretty fast and do things in a, an odd order. But I decided to take this job and then I had to find childcare. So there was a woman who I knew who had a childcare place because childcare was even worse than it is now. And she had a place at Fitzroy Community Childcare because I'm originally from Melbourne, but I'm now living in Sydney. And she said, you need a place for Romy. I can afford to pay for the childcare. So she went to one in Carlton, I think, and gave me her place at Fitzroy Community Childcare. So I had a job and I had childcare. So I did that job for 18 months. No sleep. Single motherhood is, is pretty, you get a bit stretched and you're always rushing. So I did that job for a little while and for 18 months, I think, and then uh, started out on my own and then started a business with a friend who said, I want to do what you do. She was a teacher. So we started Farmer and King. That lasted for about two years until I fell from, fell in love with someone in Sydney, in love with someone in Sydney. So I took my eight-year-old daughter to Sydney. And then I met Baz Luhrmann. Um, I, got asked, I got called in on a job for Strictly Ballroom working side by side with Baz, it was his first film, and Catherine Martin, his partner in crime and creativity. And then Tony Collette, Rachel Griffiths, uh, Kate Blanchett, a lot of names that you would know now. So they came into my orbit and I started working with them. 32 years later, I've been in Sydney and... So, yes, the rest is history. Hi, everyone. Um, this session is ostensibly about us, but it's really about you. So I'd love to just spend, if you indulge me for 10 seconds, both feet grounded and close your eyes. And if you, if there's something that you wouldn't quite dare to believe you could do, but it would be amazing, what would it be? Because um, if you can think of it now, and just hold on to it, and now join me again. If you thought of something and you thought that's the most incredible thing that I would love for myself, but it's so out there. I don't even necessarily want to talk to anyone about it. That's okay. But as long as you know what it is, you'll be ready for it when it comes. And I promise you it's going to be coming sooner than you think. The real problem is when we don't take time to think about what it might be. So how do I know that? I know that because I'm from the wrong side of the tracks in St Albans. Daughter of migrants who had me when they were 21 and 22. They'd just come to Australia, I think, when they were 16 and 17. Um, got married here and they were flat out just navigating everything and I was like doing well at school and everything but they would often I'd ask for help on something and they're like no we can't help you you help us you know so what I knew was I finished uni and I actually paid because in those days the olden days right there's no <laughs> internet that's really populated with anything much so I actually paid for a course and I worked at Macca's full-time for six months to do a really good CV and it was like it, we had there was computers I promise but there, it was handwritten and then I got it on computer and having the guts to do that landed me a job that I really loved and while I was at uni I joined the army reserves to get tax-free pay and I ended up doing jobs that are just really really different but I knew that 
and this is the secret. If you, I knew that I'm left to my own devices. I don't know how to do anything and I'm never going to know how to do anything. There's no one to copy or mirror. I'm not exposed to anything. So if I can work it out for myself at first step, well, they're transferable skills I could apply to anything that I, I dare to dream of or think about. Um, and what I've learned since is there's so many people willing to help you along the way. So what are the kind of things that I've done? I've been an assistant director in defence and I've negotiated security treaties for Australia. Um, I've done Australia's first treaty with an organisation, which was with NATO, and seven bilateral treaties with other countries, which is really fun because you have to go and inspect how they handle our secure material. So there has to be a trip each way, which is fun. Um, but I've done negotiations with the UAE during Ramadan when you're not allowed to eat and, you know, lots of learning and making mistakes along the way. I've spoken at the UN on Biological Weapons Convention. I've jumped to agriculture and I was manager for the nation's peak body for rural affairs and then CEO of Australian Dairy Farmers and EGM um, for the Clean Energy Council at the time that we brought renewable energy through solar to the highest penetration in any country an executive director at Roads Australia for the Big Build, which was fun. And now I'm doing startups. At time. I'm an organisation of one and we've moved southwest Victoria in two and a half years to the number one agricultural producing region in Australia. And it's just a lot of um, effort and having a go and being brave and making mistakes. But if you're willing to do that, you get things right a lot of the time. Um, and along the way, I was um, awarded Telstra Businesswoman of the Year and some other awards as well, um, an International Women in Renewables Award. But what I found is a lot of people were asking for mentoring or career chats, and I ended up turning that into a business. And during COVID, I, um, I thought, what can I do for health workers? And so now I run a six-month program for women in digital health. So it's women like this that don't necessarily know each other when they turn up, but it's just incredible and so empowering to just share a few things and see the magic that happens that's not really from me, but it's within them and between them. Um, so I'll hand over to you, Sal. So I'm Sally Goldman. I used the pronoun she, her. And now I can say that I am a 57-year-old in physical age terms, bi-pan, trans, neurodivergent, Jewish woman, and many other things. And the thing is it's taken a long time to, well, um, connect and reconnect with all of those parts of me because for 29 and a half years, um, close enough to half, let's keep it simple, half the life, if that was true north, I was going south. That's because of this, and I'm going to be flippant about this for a second, this assumption that says because of if you how you're assigned at birth based on your physical sex, your gender identity is assumed for you. And so I didn't know better. I mean, you mentioned internet. We didn't even have dial-up when I was born. That's, that's how old I am. No, it's not that age it matters. And I want to come back to that somewhere during the afternoon. So no one knew better and it's no one's fault, but I spent all 13 years of my schooling at what called itself then and still largely does an all-boys school. They are happily having to rethink that, um, partially to me, due to me, partially due to others. But it wasn't a good start to life. It wasn't a happy start. In terms of work and vocation and career, I took up accounting because I was reasonably good at maths but didn't get any great career advice. It's not accounting's fault. Um, accounting's what I would call a third-level skill. I can do it, but it, 
feed, and it fed my hip pocket and being Melbourne, it fed my caffeine, <laughs> but it didn't feed me in here. But I didn't really know what did. And then to try to keep it short, how do we sum up 57 years in about four minutes or something? Um, it wasn't until 29 and a half that I heard the word transgender. So I call 27 April 1995, the birthday that my spirit came alive and asked for another coffee because it needed it. And then came all the learning and critical, I think, um, for someone like myself, unlearning. I'm a big believer in that. We all get told things and they may not suit us. Um, they might seem like good ideas for other people or seem like good ideas at the time. So we need to unlearn and relearn and learn things that are more useful. So I came out as trans. I affirmed my gender identity in 1998. I you know, came to the, the clarity that I was attracted to more than one gender, identify with a neuroprocessing trait, the highly sensitive person, and so on and so on, and gradually moved away from accounting in the corporate sector through the not-for-profit sector, which helped me while I got more involved in the LGBTIQA plus communities, particularly trans and bi, and moved more into diversity education throughout the 2000s and you know, sort of that brings me up so I've had these sort of relatively two equal halves of life but it's taken that learning and unlearning and being open to new information has been really really critical and so that's sort of the, the potted story thus far. Never stop learning and I think that's a key part of being successful in yeah. this life. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit more about your journey. Any great journey is not without its obstacles. And, Maria, I'd like to ask you what kind of obstacles or challenges you faced throughout your career and how you faced them. I don't remember, except having to be really organised because I had a child and I was single, I don't really remember having challenges. I just remember being making decisions for myself early on in life because there was no leadership in my family. So when I decided to do something, like start a business, decided to do the PR job and I had no idea what public relations even meant, I just think I just decided there was no planning. It was sort of a, and still not. The phone rings this morning and there's someone else, there's someone on the phone wanting representation. Every day my life is different and I wake up not being able to predict what that is going to bring but just having an open heart and an open mind about things mm -hmm. and knowing when this doesn't suit me, when it's right to say no to something. Mm -hmm. And I have a saying that got me here in the first place because of Monique hearing this, no is my highest earning word. And I think people are too ready to say yes to things and then they get in predicaments because they think it's about the decision is about status or money or something like that. But if it doesn't suit you, then it's the worst thing for you and getting out of it is not as easy sometimes as you might think. So I don't know whether I had obstacles. I, it's been an, I loved my life and I love, life is about enjoying it and learning from those experiences that you have and I think I still continue to do that and I, I'm 67 so I don't know what my next, I mean I'm doing mentoring as well because women in particular need it they need to be told as directly as I can say things, which I'm known for, because I bullshit doesn't, you know, beating around the bush and bullshit doesn't uh, interest me. And women need to step up. They need to not blame people. They need to be able to be proud of their contribution and step up to the table and say, this is what I have to offer. And if someone doesn't listen the first time, 
then silence is always good for me too because you just draw back and you say nothing and then they go, I wonder what's the matter with that. But then you mention your idea again and then people will all of a sudden click, this person means business. The issue is getting where I've got to and I don't even know where that ends. You know, it's, I'm good. Something <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned was about saying no to certain things. Yeah. Is it a gut feeling? Yeah, that you totally. Have? Is that That's you why your gut's got to be healthy. That's why you've got to have a healthy gut all the time. My ex-doctor in the background here, in the background here. <laughs> You, because your gut is so true, though, and this is not a joke. Yeah. Your gut is is the thing that will direct you on most things you do in life. Relationships, yeah. children, feeling about raising children because that's tricky. Making decisions about clients. I've had some shockers, but then you know, as soon as I've got the gut feeling that this is not worth the cash that I'm getting, or the holiday in Bali, or whatever, on the phone. I'm sorry, mate. Don't don't talk to me like that. Don't talk to my staff like that. See you later. So it's, you, you have to be so fond of yourself and proud of yourself and know that you can actually make a difference and what your idea, what you think is important. And the gut feeling is absolutely, if, if, if it's, it's always there. Yeah, because another opportunity will always arise. If you say no to something, it doesn't mean the end of your career. It's Door closes, opens. Yeah, exactly. Every day. I'll just quickly go back to the challenges or obstacles. Um, Sally, have you experienced anything along the way that has been a particular challenge that you've come up against and how did you navigate it? Yeah, so the biggest challenge that I have faced is whilst I know inside of me and it's built over time as I have unlearned and I use the saying, cleared out the psychological waste paper basket layer by layer because for 29 years it piled up and, yeah, it came out and that was sort of like another analogy is the topsoil. Okay, I've dug through the topsoil. Oh, underneath trans and by there's despite appearances introvert, neurodivergent in terms of highly sensitive person trait. I'm recognised, my word, as experiencing the mental health situation of cyclothymia. So I had to keep learning and digging through these things. But the thing that I sadly found, and this may be a slightly difficult topic to mention, but um, it's the issue of what I call double standards in diversity. And unfortunately, it happens in the group of communities that is LGBTIQA+, where Elements of, say, gay and lesbian will discriminate against, and I put this in the first person, groups like bi and trans. Um, following a bit from what Maria said, and it's part of my neuroprocessing trait, there's a great meme about highly sensitive people or HSPs. Things we like, things we don't like, and number three on the don't like list is bullshit. We can't, we see through bullshit very quickly. It's part of the fact that we see things in greater length, depth and breadth. So when for example, and I, again, I don't want to be too triggering, but someone like a gay man or a lesbian would say to me, well, you buy people don't exist. You haven't made up your mind. Well, it's like, hang on, isn't broader society saying to you, you don't exist if you got some therapy, you'd be heterosexual? And I can't handle the bullshit. So how do I deal with it? Um, thankfully, exercise, similar to the gut. I took up swimming finally five about five years ago now with force interruptions for a couple of years. And it's the best thing mentally more than physically because I get in the pool and just go one, two, three, and the brain switches off. And then I go and have a coffee afterwards and it switches on again. It's Melbourne, we talk about coffee. Um, so I've had to learn how to, to deal with that and let go of that frustration. But I think this is the time where I probably will bring in, you know, that the thing that I've learned is to be myself. And Oscar Wilde had the, has the great saying, you know, be yourself because everyone else is taken. This is where I, my fellow 
panelist and moderator um, were tantalised by this. I said, I have two pieces of philosophy from a very unlikely source. And now is the moment they get revealed. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. So you should always take a wide variety of philosophical and sources for your leadership. And mine come from another part of me, world wrestling entertainment. <laughs> An amazing woman, Beth Phoenix, was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame about 10 years ago, and she made this quote, and I did want to read this exactly. If you ever feel like a square peg trying to fit into a round hole, if you ever feel like you don't fit the mould, that is because that is because you weren't meant to. You are meant for greater things. Don't try to be something or someone you aren't. Embrace what makes you different and be accepting of what makes others different because that is how dreams become reality. And it stuck with me. And, well, I just had to send an email to myself because it's my email signature that when I had it in front of me. That's how much I use it. So if you come to me for coaching or diversity training, you get diversity from the first email response. The thing with Oscar Wilde is it, just to come back and finish the answer, is, yeah, you've got to find that time to know yourself. And I've had to take that time to dig below the topsoil and get closer and closer to bedrock to find the truly authentic me. But once you have it, and this is the other part of the philosophy, again from World Wrestling Entertainment, they say that once you know someone's natural personality, you take it and you ramp the character up to Spinal Tap Volume 11. So once you know who you are, and of course you're going to keep learning and building, keep ramping it up, and then it's a true sense of passion. I think people are very quick nowadays to spot fakeness. We're fed up with it. And so if you know who you are and you're really driving that and putting it out there, that's when it works. But one without the other, and you, if you go a bit out of balance, so to speak, I'm also a Libra, and so maybe that's where the balance comes in. If you put the two together, know yourself and then ramp it up and know where your passions are as well, that's where you'll get the results that's best for you and the people in your life and society and economy as a whole. Amazing. I really think being authentic and empathetic, empathetic goes so far in every career you can imagine. And people do see through bullshit. <laughs> they really do. Everyone has a great radar and should listen to their gut a little bit more. I wanted to ask you, Natalie, obviously you've achieved some incredible things. Do you think there's ever a point in your career where you go, wow, I've made it? You do, but it's not when you when people think or people are saying that about you. It's the opposite times, for me anyway. And so, for instance, you know the things that you're really, really bad at? If I get to average, I'll pat myself on the back. I'll celebrate because I don't want myself or any of you to spend too much time on our weaknesses. That's not what we're here to do. That's not our gift to the world. Um, knowing ourselves and playing to our strengths is where the magic happens and where the exponential growth happens and the value happens and you're happy and smiling and loving what you do, right? Um, not when Sally's an accountant, you know, that's never going to be that magic spot for her. Getting yourself to that position where you're comfortable but also celebrating when you're, okay, I set myself a goal and I did it. Or for me, um, how I absorb and deal with failure. Ross knows a lot of my failures because um, he's, he's heard me share them a lot of times. I love sharing them. There's an, an endless source of failures for me because that's how I grow and that's how I learn and I'm human. So if I was um, to pick one, we mentioned the UN before. As part of that, my job working for Foreign Affairs and Trade was to, with the ambassador, work with what we call non-aligned nations, so India, Pakistan and so on, 
who will vote as a bloc, and we as the Western bloc have the chance to try and win their vote. So done all the preparation. I knew my stuff inside out. We're in Geneva, went to a restaurant, which was fancier than I'd ever been to. And I hadn't had much exposure. So I told you I grew up, I really went to a restaurant, you know, we ordered and it was really fancy and was Japanese, really high-end Japanese restaurant. I, I recognised nothing on the plate. And I thought, that's okay, I'm here to just succeed. And I've got my everything in my head, I've got this, I'm ready to go, I've spent, you know, been practising and the ambassador's doing the opening remarks and then I'm going to come in, that's the plan. So while he's speaking, I think there's only one thing I recognise on this plate and it's avocado. I'm going to eat it. Oh, <laughs> so I'm there and I think I'm 23 and I'm like, I've got a, a bullet against my name in the department. I'm acting up three levels. I'm like the little superstar that they've got on loan from defence, right? Yeah, I'm sitting there in this restaurant and it's my turn to speak and everyone's looking at me and the tears are running down my face. <laughs> and I can't even open my mouth because if I do, I'm going to scream so loud. I've never had wasabi um, before that. I've had it plenty of times since, but in much smaller portions. And I did not know what, what was happening. I did not know if I needed a hospital. I did, but, but you know when you're in the workplace and suddenly you don't care if you need the hospital, you just want to be able to do your job because that's really what you were here to do and you were already looking forward to being proud of yourself and now you think you're going to be sacked and sent in disgrace back to Australia <laughs> and back to the Department of Defence where everyone's going to say, why did you just come and finish early? And why did, is your pay down two levels? And I actually couldn't speak for the rest of the dinner. And the ambassador was furious at me. He wouldn't speak to me. And so I had to clean it up the next day. And having the courage to go and talk to this big, scary ambassador and own it and beg and say this is what happened to me I'm so sorry I've let you down no excuses I've learned something doesn't help us what can I do to make this better that's the bit that you feel proud of because I could have wallowed I could have let the the cards fall where they where they might but instead I didn't and when um Maria and Sally were, were speaking I was thinking sometimes it's also owning myself later on in my career about how my emotions are feeling, how I'm receiving people, taking ownership for being probably a bit of a, a, a bit highly sensitive as well. There's no such thing as normal, right? So if anyone here is thinking they're normal, that um, enjoy because that's going to change over time. So <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Enjoy the bliss. But it's a rude awakening if we're not reflective and open to discovery how we're a little bit different from other people and how we sometimes have a skill set to offer, but also something to manage in ourselves. So just some, some things that I'm quietly proud of that, you know, only I know about, really. May I ask a question? How did the ambassador respond? He had never had someone come and do that, he said, and his name was Les Luck. He said, he's a, he's a man of few words, so let me do the, the talking, but he said, um, shit happens. And then he said, are you right for the UN tomorrow? Or do we need to send someone else up? And I said, I'm right. I'll be right. And I was right. I really love what you said there about taking ownership and sometimes your reaction when something goes wrong actually counts more than whether you were at fault or not and actually owning it. You know, nine out of ten times I get stuff well, I do it well and I get it right and this one's a clanger and I will admit defeat and apologise and then, you know, you're looked at in a different way. It's interesting, as I'm listening to you ladies, 
I'm thinking about the things that I'm going to tell my daughter one day, you know, to inspire her to excel in life. I always think when you're young, you're told you're a good girl, you're a good girl, you're doing a, you know, you're doing a good thing, you're being a good child. And I, I never want to say that to my daughter. So I always say, great job, kick ass, well done, rather than you're a good girl and you fit into this square. I wanted to ask, what do you think young women today should be told by their parents? And I don't know how many of you here today are parents or want to be parents, but to me it is, it's so interesting. Do, do any of you have anything to say? What should we be saying to bring up young women of today? Well, I've been called a woman, not a lady, because I'm mm. not a lady. Yeah, but that's fair so enough. A, it has a different – lady to me feels like two boys on coke going out, out of the bar. So it just has that connotation and it's weird how language mm. affects you in a certain way. So I'm a woman through and through and I'm cool with that. But with my – I've got a granddaughter who's five, just started school, and I'm guilty of saying good girl, good girl, because I have them one night a week, dinner, get ready for school and whatever. And I thought I'd done that, you know. I thought I had my daughter and that was – but now I have the children a lot. You've got to watch your language so often because it's – and they're bright kids and it sticks in their head. Mm. And if you do say, pick up your shoes with me, oh, good girl. And, and I, when, you, when I was listening to you then, I'm thinking, mm. it's true. But you can't always get it right. And mm. you, can, you just have to be in love with these children and care for them in such a way that – what else you teach them will probably colour the good girl bit mm. because she knows she's fabulous and she knows that she's got um, every bit of support with her, from her parents, her, grand, her two sets of grandparents. So, yeah, I wouldn't raise a child in a hurry, always rushing, and I have the most incredible daughter, 40-year-old daughter who's expecting her third child, I couldn't be happier, you know. She's And she puts me in my – she's the only person that can put me in my place. <laughs> she does it so subtly and so fabulously. But, you know, she told me to go and get my hair done before today. Right? <laughs> and I bloody well did. <laughs> it's like it was a real chunk of time out of my morning. And she said, but, you know, you'll be there and you want to, you know, feel good and whatever. And she – you know, she does this stuff that, and we're very close, obviously, mm -hmm. but, and we live in the same apartment building, mm -hmm. and the children come up and down the lift. So you can create your family, you can create your life that you want. Mine certainly hasn't, you know, there's no end to it now, so I don't know what, there was a question about what's next. Oh, was there, or make, I'm making that up? <laughs> we'd love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing, it's not over yet, you know, it's yeah. not over till it's over, over. The next part of what we're chatting about today is some of the tips and tricks that these women have learnt along the way. I'll go back to Maria. <laughs> I want to know what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, just to do it, just to keep going and move and just be present. That's such a cliche and used so often and I can't stand it, but it's just really, you know, I have this reputation of being a bulldog and a, um, I don't mix my words and I'm quite direct and all these things that can be have ne negative connotations because I'm a, a woman. And I just, that doesn't sit well with me at all. Uh, and people say, oh, well, they're scared of you. Well, fine, you know, grow up. <laughs> Take, you know, get, get set. You know, it's not, you don't... Because I've decided to be the uniqueness of us all. Yeah. Who said that before? Someone said we're all we're all unique. We, there's nothing similar about any of us except we, you know, foolishly women spend a lot of money on beauty and hair and nails and crap, you know, to make to make us look better. 
supposedly. Yeah, it's just what I would tell my younger self is every every phase is different and, you know, the next day is going to be different. And when you were drunk and you said the wrong thing to that guy and you, or that person or that girl or your boss or you vomited at an event because you'd had too much to drink, you just go, oh, well, next. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressive. So, that, and people don't. People only think about themselves. Mm-hmm. They're only concerned about themselves, even though you think they're thinking about you and, oh, they're judging you, only ever think about themselves. You tell someone something really sad and I can hear that it's on the phone or in front of you, you can see the eyes glaze over. It's like, oh, they want the next thing. have to read people really well because of my job and the way I spin things and the crisis management that I do. Sorry, I, I waffled a bit, but no, I younger, that. younger so girl, true. younger person, you know, just yeah. be unique. Be unique and be fabulous and love what you do and learn from every experience. Yeah. Natalie, what would you tell your younger self? Yeah, the same thing that I would do with young children today as well, not just young girls, but ask more questions mm-hmm. and listen. So with kids, I love to just, I love walking. I walked here. I've got my sneakers to walk home. But I love going on a walk and just asking lots of questions. And you learn so much about them and people are so formed and so interesting And I held myself back from asking questions a lot. I didn't think it was my place or appropriate. But if you do it the right way, everyone's thrilled that you would find them interesting enough to learn from their wisdom or a bit more about them. And you ask respectfully so they can say no if it's not right for them at that time. Um, But most people will not give you a no. Um, The other thing that I would say is for myself, for some reason, I feel like it's the world's greatest crime to leave a job. (laughs) I don't know why, right? Why is that? Like we don't leave jobs. It's not like a commentary on the job saying you guys were hopeless so I had to leave, (laughs) you know, I'm here, I'm levelling up, you know. Um, It's not like an ex-boyfriend sort of situation, (laughs) do you know what I mean, or girlfriend. It's okay and you bring people with you wherever you go. So we all know that. You get the big family going on from uni, from high school, from job, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I just think wouldn't it be great if we supported each other and so I try to create workplaces where we can talk openly about, hey, you're probably ready for your next promotion. We can't offer it because we're small, but where do you want to go? How can I help with that? Mm. And I've had people, um, um, some of them ex-Ross's students, and they're running the world now in amazing jobs and I want to work for them and all of you one day. Um, But I feel, wouldn't it be great if we just saw things as fun and not a value judgment and not a crime? Because you can also say, actually, the grass isn't greener. I actually learned more what I loved about this job that I used to do. I mean, I'd love to end up back there one day. You know, it's, it's okay. Fantastic. Sally, what would you say to your younger self? Why don't you said younger and just change that from what it was written on the page because that gives me, there really is two answers and it links back to that opening introduction because I sometimes feel like I almost, yeah, 1965 when I was physically born, I almost went to negative 29 and so I've only been 25 four years ago. So I'm going to do a split answer. So physically 25, I'd say that things will be better and happier and you can make them that way. And I think you do that because, sure, I I mean, to go a little deeper into the trans stuff, which is the obvious, you know, sort of surface stuff, I 
didn't have any information. And I said, when I was growing up, seriously, there was not internet. You couldn't type anything into a search engine. But I do remember the day the psychologist mentioned the word to me and I drove away thinking, oh, I've gone down a fair way going against this. What would happen if I went with it? And this comes back to listening to the gut and the heart. So listen to the gut and the heart. And the 25-year-old spiritual self, which therefore is only about four or five years ago, I'd say keep learning, keep evolving. One of the things I had to unlearn uh, was that for a long time, because life didn't feel so good, I perhaps clung on to things for too long because they were good and I wanted to keep them and I wasn't opening myself to change as was mentioned. I'm going to go with my heart and the spirit of vulnerability in the room. I'm having to do that now. I mean, you know, it's great that you've invited me here, but I feel like I'm actually entering a third part of my life for as much as I'm really content about what I've done in the rainbow communities and similar, I feel I'm onto something else. And in line with what you did at the start, Maria, and, you know, where, what will the answer come? I've had to do that. And the one thing that I haven't really followed, which has probably got deeply buried right down the bottom under everything else was music. And whilst I've sung as part of performing before, I've, only taken up guitar six weeks ago because I want to complete that and start doing my own gigs. And I do feel a future in that. So just keep learning. And you might have to make what seems like a huge, you know, hook turn or something in your life. Trust the gut and listen to your heart and the brain will follow, I think is therefore probably the best advice I would give. But you've again, you've got to know yourself and keep fine, you know, learning yourself. And of course, it's easier when not impossible when you know, you're younger to do that um, because there's perhaps less to dig through. But the reason this change has come about is a part of my life ended in not a good way. I'll just say I won't go into detail. And there's part of me that's, I'll be frank, first was a bit grisly. Oh, why is this happening at 57? Why am I going through this bleep, 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 bleep? I'm not, I'm not as good as swearing as Maria is. But, uh, <laughs> so all this bloody shit. Anyway, um, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? Sit around... Lots of practice, all right. We'll have a practice session and we'll keep learning. Seriously, I thought, well, I can sit around, you know, grizzling for the rest of my life or I can go, what do I really want to do now? I've got, this is a chance to maybe make, you know, a shift. So I'm going with that and it's reviving and building, rebuilding me after the difficult stage in my life. Tapping into that energy that is sustaining me is, um, you know, I don't know where it's going to go, but we'll just... To quote a musician, Willie Nelson, I'll live one day at a time. <laughs> Obviously, our careers aren't built on our own. There are people around us who support us and help us achieve things. So what do you think leaders can do better in the workplace to help women succeed? I think there's two answers to that. And, I mean, I'll start with the women bit. I mean, I think leaders need... And if we're talking women, just on being one-dimensional, not intersectional, we need cisgender men to be the allies and do the emotional labour on every level. So when it is that the woman comes up with the idea and no-one says anything and then 10 minutes later Fred's, Fred, who's, we don't assume anything because of someone's name, who's a, who's a man, says the same idea, oh, great idea, Fred. We need the men in the room to say, oh, didn't um, that other person just say that first? So there's that sort of thing when it comes to gender identity, definitely, and we need it going then beyond women on that. We need all sorts of people to be allies. We need to be 
lifting each other up as much as we can. And, the, you know, the more privileged society has deemed you to, to have, and, we, you know, listing off all the various parts of intersectionality, we need those people to be doing that. And that is leadership. I, there's no one definition of leadership, but my biggest thing about it is leadership is about strengthening people. Well, then you're doing leadership. So it's that allyship and reducing the emotional labour it can be really hard to constantly feel like you've got to keep speaking up and saying the same thing or people won't listen. And I think that therefore leads into people in general taking it beyond women. Big believer in this. Um, and I'm going to do, um, I did watch too much TV as a kid, so I'm going to bring in some more, not World Wrestling Entertainment. To quote Family Feud, I want to survey a studio audience here at Deacon today. <laughs> And just ask how many people in their, um, if you're over 18, this will apply, but if you're, even if you're less than 18, however far you've got in your life, how many people have had structured formal training in listening in the room prior to 18? Prior to 18. Before 18, yeah. And then since 18, three or four people in a room, what about 30? And yet listening, and as much as I hate binaries, you know, it's 50% of our communication, yet we're not taught how to do it. And so that's the thing I'd say to managers, coaches, mentors, leaders, listen, learn to listen, get listening skills, look at the blocks to listening. Some of the basic ones, you know, we're distracted by our phone or, um, you know, we're busy. But I think one that comes in is, I'm going to use the term and then explain it, dysfunctional emotions and feelings. Emotions and feelings are not bad. It's when they damage you and or other people. So that's where, again, it comes back to you keep learning. You're then able to grow other people more and lead people and mentor those people at any age um, who are coming to you. So, you know, and you can see they're stressed. Listen first. Make sure you know where they're at. They may just need an ear. I get sick of people when you say something. So here's what you think you should do. No. They might not want that. They might just think, oh, I've cleared my head. Oh, here's my answer. Yeah. Or that they might say to you, do you have advice then? Well, then you go into coaching mode and say, well, okay, let's work through this. So that would be my answer that listen, know yourself and keep being authentic and keep learning. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. Um, I guess human beings are just that. They're humans, they're flawed and sometimes behaviour in the workplace is not on, it's not perfect. Different people experience different things, obviously, but if someone is experiencing sexist behaviour in the workplace. Natalie, how do you think people can empower themselves in that situation? Sure. And um, to Sally's point, I would recommend the book or audio book, Crucial Conversations. So Crucial Conversations, it's really old, but it works. And we have crucial conversations with everyone in our lives, not just the workplace. But I think the critical thing for me is it's not the person who's experiencing the ism to have to deal with it um, they're going to have to experience it and process it and deal with it and that could just be look like a pain response or flight that's okay I think for all of us not because we're women but because we're human is speaking genuinely as every individual's responsibility to think about what your strengths are what your intersections are and whether they where they fit but also to think if you witness someone experiencing something where they look traumatised, whether we agree that they should be or shouldn't be, 
what's our strength to support them? So it could be that you're the sort of person that can use your voice in the moment and you're really articulate on the spot. It could be that you're the sort of person that's really good at quietly say to them, did you want me to walk outside with you for a moment or do you need a moment? Can we, would you like to go somewhere safe? It could be that you're the sort of person that will reflect on it and say to other people, that didn't seem okay to me for these reasons. What do you think? What should we do about it? Is there a procedural or structural response that we can lead with here? It could be that you're the person that did it and you get the chance, the best chance of all, to say, I'm sorry, I think I've offended you. I'm sorry, I think that's come out the wrong way. I'm sorry, I've just realised what I've said. I'm abjectly sorry. How amazing if people did that, if people felt it was okay to do that. If people, you know, if they said, are you comfortable to let me know what I can do? If I'm going to reach out about training I can do on this or, you know, what if we normalised owning your shit? (laughs) Because I make mistakes all the time and only when I own it am I less likely to make it again. And I really respect people that can use a lot of questions and inquiring language to say, I'm not sure if what I've said has come out the right way. If there's something I've missed, let me know. Or if, you know, whether it's something that feels topical or traumatic or it's just general work, you know, everyone's got something to offer, but we're really stand and deliver, not co-create. So wouldn't it be great if we co-created work families, which, which I've had in the past and which are just incredible. Work families. Yeah, well, they called, the team called it, they said, we've got a work family. And, um, and it was incredible. They had a voice and they led a lot of things, um, but it was easier to create because it was a really broken team to walk into. Um, so it was a team really open for new ways of doing things and in pain. And when you're in pain, often you're going to jump at the chance of something different that, that might be less painful. And incredibly, it, it was healing. So it was, it was a, a real privilege to be part of. And anyone can create it. You don't need to be the leader. Yeah, just needs to be that person to start it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and support each other. And and I sat and learned so much from them that I use it now um, in future team training and sharing. That's great. I wanted to speak a little bit about workplace culture and the workplaces of today. And Sally, I wanted to ask you, you know, is there something that you think needs things that need to change? I think that, and we've actually got a great bounce off from the last answer because by total happy coincidence of timing, no world wrestling entertainment pre-scripted here. <laughs> but this morning, Biceps Alliance, which was mentioned in my introduction, the committee did four hours of work on being trauma-informed and how to create a trauma-informed culture, which I think should happen in every workplace and team setting. But when you've got people who are, um, definitely face trauma, which certainly I'll only speak for myself here is I and trans have, but I know LGBTIQ have, and I'm sure many others have beyond my sense of identity. When we're in those sorts of not-for-profit workplaces where we need the lived expertise, to use that term, and there therefore will be proportionately more people who will face trauma because of discrimination, there's a start. But also, really, all of us probably have something underneath as a person. Let's move away from attributes for just a second. The experiences that I went through have indirectly, to be honest, made me at times a little wary and mistrustful of people, and that's a trauma. And I feel sometimes trauma comes up when I'm not treated with respect by people with the potential for power. 
So I have to be aware of that. Um, but also it would be nice if people would be willing to learn. And that's where it comes in, listening, learning, and overcoming our unconscious bias. So bringing it back more onto diversity, we've all got unconscious bias, and there's a couple of things that have come to mind. A few years ago, I was on a panel on privilege, and I thought, I'll bring in this 1980s research concept called preparation, um, this 1980s management concept, and I thought, I'll look up a list of privilege, and it was the ones that I'd never thought about the most that were the ones that leapt out and go, whoa, I've never even thought about that being educated and always having a roof of my own choosing over my head. Now, of course, there are others that maybe at least I was aware of, but I didn't know about the extent. And obviously for me, that is white privilege. We all have unconscious bias. And one of mine, I'm going to be again open, was that I thought because I'd faced discrimination or all those attributes I've mentioned, oh, I know, I know all about discrimination. I'm a very empathic person. No. I cannot know what it is like to be black, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, a person of colour. You get it. You know, when I read the book, Me and My White Privilege by Leila Saad, and it said, you know, those, those groups cop it from day one, whereas at least I didn't, you know, for four years or so until I went to the all boys school. There's the difference. So that's the unconscious bias that we need to keep overcoming and we can keep learning and keep going in deeper on all aspects of our unconscious bias and the only way again to do that is to listen and by listen I mean receive information which we do in different ways acknowledging neurodivergence but just keep taking in that information and learning and unlearning to make sure that that unconscious bias reduces that you are more in the present moment and I think that one of the biggest problems we have and this alludes to what I mentioned earlier about discrimination within rainbow communities I've invented this term selectively woke don't be selectively woke, be consistently woke. And I think that's where we're going to deal well with a whole range of humans, not just one group, and start sort of playing one off against the other or going further on one and not the other. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Maria, there's something you mentioned on our call that we haven't chatted about yet, and it's um, one of your favourite songs, Miley Cyrus, Cyrus Flowers. <laughs> you? <laughs> what you said, oh, and, and I want you to share it with everyone. <laughs> Please. Um, I'm sure everyone's heard the song. I don't have a great singing voice. Maybe we can get you spelling. <laughs> well, I just I just thought that it was um, my daughter said, listen to this, and sent me the lead to it. And she's such a fabulous performer and songwriter. It's a song called Flowers. I suppose it links to how we need to stand up, be, love our uniqueness and have our own power and do and stand up for what we, we feel. And if something does happen to us, in the, you know, that you're talking about, my, my view is take it on mm-hmm. straight away. And there obviously are people who can't. And I've been a bit of a bully in my office because I was under such pressure and had such high-profile clients. And the, the people that worked with me, I'd rather say with me than for me, Know, knew that and knew my pressure points. And now I talk to them. Most of them, most of the good people that worked with me have their own businesses now. And I talk about my bully behaviour, all my strong, get away, to do that, good. You know, everything had to be sort of done like within two seconds. They said they learnt, they went to the University of Maria Farmer. They learnt so much. They knew how to do a deal. They knew how to do, talk to a difficult client. They knew so much more about the world and life and business because of my behaviour. So they were sort of giving me it's okay, but I knew, I knew that 
And they knew I was under a lot of pressure, but it, that doesn't forgive that. And I think if you can grow beyond what, you, what you've been doing and you see some positives out of it, but absolutely learn the lesson and learn from the experiences that you've, how you've behaved and, and, own, and say it. And, and I've said to most of them, you know, I was a bitch a lot of the time, you know, but it was super tricky. So flowers, we were good, we were gold, kind of dream that can't be sold. We were right till we weren't, built a home and watched it burn. I didn't want to leave, I didn't want to lie, started to cry, but then I remembered I can buy myself flowers, I can write my name in the sand, talk to myself for hours, say things that you don't understand. I can take myself dancing, I can hold my own hand. Yeah, I can love me better than you can. And then the chorus is love me better, love me better, love me better than you can. <laughs> and uh, match the rose that you left. No remorse, no regret. I forgive every, every word you said. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to lie. I started to cry, but then I remembered I can buy myself. It's basically saying you don't need someone else to complete you or be, be, your, be your saving grace or... And I suppose because I've lived it and made decisions about relationships and I've had a few, but if they don't work or if they don't in relationships as in intimate relationships or work partnerships or whatever, you can't. Miley is saying what well, we all should know every day that we can do whatever we need to do ourselves and whether it's, you know, a difficult uh, situation, you've got to take it on because that's how you learn to, to build resilience and coming from a family of seven with a really dysfunctional family and a really angry father and a mentally ill mother, you know that otherwise you'd just go out to sea if you didn't take it on and learn how to, to operate and make decisions for yourself. And this other one I've got from a new client, Erin, can I just indulge? Thank you for seeing something in me that I'm only just really now stepping into. It was a card that she wrote me. It's an honour to have your support and incredible albeit sometimes rather terrifying advice. Thank you, thank you, thank you, with love, Erin. So that bully in me, you know, I'm owning it. I'm really owning that I am tough and that I'm direct and I expect people to get on with it. And uh, But I'm a softy at heart, you know, and I'm an introvert. I shouldn't even be here talking, you know. I, <laughs> I don't like this stuff. I never do it. I, I do one-on-ones really well. But it's... It's, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone, don't other experience I can learn from. That flowers, yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, the other one, the other one, the other one was, why is everyone taking your husband's name? Their surname. I hate that. Because <laughs> it's ownership. It gives, it's consequences. It's, it has ramifications. We are born a certain person and then we go and say, oh, that guy over there or that woman over there or whatever, I think I'll be that person. And so... I'd love it to, and, and I know I've spoken to some of clients of mine who just got married, 37, so it's coming because I'm a rabid feminist from way back, you know, hairy legs, armpits, whatever, but it's coming back around now that the feminist is that you can do anything you want. Well, I don't agree. I think as a feminist you start, you keep your own name for a start, the person you were born to be, and you live it, and then they say, oh, I want the kids to have the same names as me or the husband or whatever. This, you can sort that out. There are ways of doing that. Yeah, that's a real bugbear of mine too, which links into all our how we stand up in the world and be our unique selves and punch it out. <laughs> that actually really had a big impact on me when you said that because yeah. I hadn't thought about it, to oh, be really? honest, which is yeah. interesting. You also said 
why has everyone got to wear those G-string bikinis? Just do you. <laughs> <laughs> The Kardashians are the worst people in the world. <laughs> and you see so much of what they have shown the world. And we're all, we're, or oh, I'm not, we're, you know, looking at them and going, oh, I want to be that. You're the biggest asses in the world. And, you know, everyone should be able to wear whatever they want. I, I, I get that. But to have from 14, 15 year olds to 60 year olds on the Bondi Beach, Wearing those bikinis, and they're in, they're in Europe, they're all over Europe, and they're sort of standard fare in Europe. They were never brought in by the Kardashians in Europe. It was just a, a, a way of a fashion that they took on. So it's cool over there. But here, it's like, come on, guys, we have to not follow. We have to lead. And everyone in this room has to lead in some way to make the world a different place because we just. It's just going, it's getting smaller and smaller and we're following like... Lemmings. What? Lemmings. Lemmings or sheep or cows, I don't know, whatever they are. But, yeah, that's another bugbear. That was something I've forgotten about too. But, yeah, yeah. Well, I think now's a good time to um, open up the conversation to our audience and get some... Uh... Some questions. Who wants to go first? Well, maybe we've been so fabulous. You don't yeah, know. I know. You've learned everything. <laughs> I going to say one of yeah. the only good things about the ubiquitous thong bikini uh -huh. is that it creates a lot of conversations about what women or girls wear mm -hmm. and what messages they're sending through the material on their body or not on their body. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important as a society because, you know, if a young teenager or nine-year-old or 70-year-old Where's that? She's not necessarily, it's not an invitation, it's not a statement. doesn't mean she thinks she's perfect or she's available or anything like that. And I think it's created a lot of uncomfortable but valuable conversations and even, you know, reflections in my own mind about me and what, I, what I'm programmed and what I want to unlearn as well. Yeah. Because I think anything that you do should be because you want to do it for you rather than for others. But that's, that's hard to know, though, because it's about unlearning everything yeah. and it's just yeah. so, so – copying is so powerful. It's just easier to fit in. And if that's what the swimwear rule is right now, then – or if Zimmerman have got the flowery dresses and that's what's in right now, let me tell you about it. That's my life is fashion and entertainment and the, that world of glitz and glamour and – carry on and Botox and lips oh my god and it's it just makes you sad to feel like people can't just be who they are you know and that so much influence is reflected in whatever we see in the world now so so much influence is is people take it literally and yeah, same everywhere do you think that will ever change well it has changed I'm probably the oldest person in the room it has changed um, and it's got so much worse that people don't think for themselves or, or and you've got a sector of the community that will always be, like tattoos, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're everywhere. They're not, they're not fabulous anymore because mostly blokes at the top of the industries that I work in that dictate what women do in their, when they release an album or they work in a movie or, you know, and you have to be really strong to talk back because it's an income, it's a job, uh, your livelihood depends on it and you want to work, you know. So there's a lot of that sort of, those structures that dictate 
a lot of the things that go on in life. Uh, and those people, those mostly white men, middle-aged men, don't really know shit, you know? They don't know nothing. <laughs> oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I've read, sorry, I'm Brianne, and this panel's been really great, so thank you for your time today. My question to all of you here is that I guess in the work, in, in corporate, they all have to wear a certain style. Now, sometimes women, I've read a study that women forego flowery dresses or nice things to maybe wear black, like all black or pants because... All black rules. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like I don't know what It's in Melbourne. <laughs> it really is. Um, but I guess we forego sometimes our identity and clothing to kind of walk the road of being seen as a a strong woman in the corporate world um what do you say to your wardrobes like when you wake up in the morning have you ever gone against the grain and said i'm gonna wear this like flowery dress to a, a big business meeting with you know absolutely <laughs> oh my god mm-hmm. you're gonna jump at it you're gonna get you get noticed and if you you know what the thing is the key thing is because fashion and all that as i just said it's in my world all the time the only thing that you need to care about is that you look good. You could wear the same thing every single day and you'll walk past people and be with, with different people. As long as you look good, nothing more matters because people just clock you and they go, oh, she looks good. But if they don't know. They don't care enough to know, oh, she was wearing that the other day or whatever. So things just have to make you feel good and look good. That's really all it's about. We get caught up in, you know, buying hundreds and hundreds of things. And I think COVID was great for that was only great for that but it, it stopped us going shopping because we're in our you know sportswear or whatever or not as in having to work from home was great so yeah stop shopping I mean my fashion label clients would hate that but <laughs> you know you only need a certain amount of stuff and you get you, you get a sense of your look wear the same thing all the time and my a, daughter does it too it's allowed to change because ironically two opposing things are true you're going to get criticised whatever you do or don't do. So just do what you want to do because you're going to cop it either way. So get that thick skin and it doesn't matter what you wear, if you don't have a sense of worth that drives your presence, that you deserve to be in the room or at the table that you're at, doesn't matter what you're wearing, you've failed. Please don't spend money on your outfit if that's the case, right? So just wear what is you and what you'll notice. I'm just noticing now we're all wearing really different things in this room. doesn't matter. There's no one that couldn't go to a meeting. There's no one that couldn't. I do farm visits as well. You know, I change my sh- shoes, but I could, if I had to, I could do it. So be comfortable, be who you are, and know that who you are expressed through clothing is going to change. It's, it's life. Let it flow. I look at myself because I didn't give myself that permission for a while. You know how people, you know in the movie where they've got the the person and they've got the 50s outfits, then the 60s, then the 70s era and the 80s. And all. I didn't really have that because I was pleasing other people or doing what I thought was, like, appropriate. How boring. That's, don't, don't be that. Be you. Yeah, I would agree totally with that. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, when I got up this morning, I didn't know what I was going to wear and I just thought, okay, what's going to make me feel good in myself, feel right, also allowing for the fact that it's a beautiful 27 degrees outside, what's going to be reasonably comfortable. And then I was on the, you know, a Zoom for four hours this morning doing the trauma-informed training. Oh, okay. And the intuition just clicked in because I had the right wardrobe that felt good for me. But 
The other thing is, had I been doing something else, of course, you know, I might have gone completely different. Tomorrow I don't really have any formal meetings, so I can probably be more casual. The other thing which, you know, you mentioned the, the, the farm stuff. I mean, I haven't really been in what I'll call the corporate sector for some years. So I have one dry humoured trans friend of mine who has the best Novocastrian English accent who can imitate Sean Connery brilliantly. Um, she invented the term many years ago for skirts. It's money penny shoots after the late Sean Connery. I have one money penny suit, but most of my work for the last eight years or so has been more in the community sector. If I turned up in a money penny suit to do training, I'd scare the heck out of them. <laughs> so I just have very, I just call it community where it's a mixed casual and it can reasonably morph and um, chameleon, I'll, I'll invent a verb, chameleon its way through various settings, a bit like what you were saying about the farm, the farming stuff, you, you know, so just, you know, and, if it, and it makes me feel comfortable and good and gives me a bounce to wear what I feel like I need to wear on the day. So I, I go with that. And, you know, there's a range of outfits for all occasions. You know, Friday, um, Sunday was Pride Month, so I've got a section in my entire wardrobe of queerish T-shirts. Which one do I put on today? You know, whatever, you know, and just then the intuition can kick in. Thank you. Um, certainly when I'm doing media training with clients, teaching them how to do TV interviews, I always say wear something that makes you feel powerful. Mm. It doesn't really matter what it is. No stripes. Except the stripes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that creates an optical illusion. Um, but other than that, people are more interested in what's coming out of your mouth. But you also, get them in the first you know, when you wake up in the morning, every day is different, right? Mm. And I've taken out of my wardrobe and I hate and put it aside to give to some binnies or put it put down in the storage downstairs. And then I'm like, where is it? A week later, you know, because my mood's changed, my look's changed, I feel it's different. So it just, you go with the flow and, and, that, and that gut feeling of what, how do you feel, what a feel today, you know? It's like it shouldn't uh, be a concern of, how, you know, you just have to feel great. Mm. And you look great today. Can I ask a question? Yes. I'm really keen to hear about self-worth, about maybe someone tells a story about whether you have low self-worth and you've you know, improved on it or, or vice versa, so you felt good and then your self-worth rock bottom for a particular event. Just, just some insights on that, please. Um, so and love to jump in. I've got this theory that, we look to the toddlers for self-worth because we're all born with it. And, you know, a toddler's okay to demand what they want and how they feel is okay. And, and we teach them that it's not, right, and that they, you know, the good and the bad that you were referring to earlier and the what's okay and not okay and, you know, are they allowed to have an opinion on this, that or the other? And usually they're not really because they're not informed. That's according to us. But they have an opinion. They're happy to share it. So... Somehow we go through this stage in society where it's beaten out of us. We have to work to reclaim our self-worth. And so all of us have this sort of inner child in us that remembers what it's like to believe in yourself and feel good about being you. And all of us have that inner child that has the fear that ultimately no one's going to love us if they knew what we really like or whatever it is, you know. Um, so just know that every emotion that you feel regarding self-worth I feel it, everyone feels it at times, but stepping into your self-worth feels so good and we all deserve to do that. And it's okay to, I don't think it's something that is ever 100% all the time, 
there's, you know, people that experience Dunning-Kruger syndrome who think they're right all the time and everything they think is the right thing because part of self-worth is knowing you've got the capacity to learn and grow and be wrong and learn through failure as I love to do. But it's not like it feels great to fail. It's part of my courage and my story about how I keep growing and how I keep seeing my worth because we can set our own worth as well. And the things that we value in others, um, if you've got people close to you, you might really value that they're supportive. But how rarely would we say that as a first thing about ourselves as a trait, but it might be something that makes us the best friend in the world, the best partner. So embrace it, step into it, and do notice the things that boost your self-worth and do it more because you deserve it. Oh, God, that's another one. It's like imposter syndrome, self-worth. Imposter syndrome has started, some academics started looking at in the 70s and they did paper upon paper upon paper about self-worth. Then in the in uh, 2020, two other academics did some thing on imposter syndrome and they said, let's give it up. Let's finally give it up. After 77, what's that, how many years, you know, I was, ma- I was just about, I was married then. Self-worth is if you go for a walk, if you if you eat the right things, if you hang out with the right people, you're going to get self worth. You're going to get people who don't judge you, who don't criticize you, who just let you be. Firm believer that exercise changes your headspace, changes your outlook on life. Self worth comes from all of that, and it doesn't mean that you're a size eight, false tits, and that sort of stuff. It is about Having the time to spend some time on yourself, it doesn't cost a lot of money. Being in the world and experiencing the world and seeing the beautiful things that exist in the world will make you feel self-worth because it's really you're just here to enjoy it and learn from the experiences. I think I've said that four times now, which is a bit tedious, but it's the (laughs) truth, you know, because we we expect so much of life. But what is it? When we look at it, what is it? You know, we all just got here somehow and we all believe in different gods and different powers and different things that make us happy. Yeah, exercise and good food and good people around you. Dry cleaner, your boot fixer, your local milk bar, your doctor, your lawyer. Accountant. All that support you and pardon? Accountant. Your accountant. Oh, my God, and most important. But, yeah, they've got to be good, solid people that, know you and care about you and care about your future and care about what happens to you. I do want to ask a question very piqued by um, Natalie's um, story about how she recovers from the wasabi incident. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to ask the rest of the panel, how do you recover from work trauma? What's your thought process? How do you get over that big hit at work that you experience? Confront it head on. Actually take it on because once it's gone from your shoulders, once it's gone from your brain and someone else knows about it, then now someone else knows about it. And so otherwise you're, you're in here, in your heart, thinking, oh, I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible person. And as I keep saying, nobody cares as much about it as you do. But once you open it up, people will have a different opinion about, oh, what? What did you do? Oh, oh, that. Oh, well. And so it, it alleviates once you share something. Um, and that's why good people around you need to be there to, but also if you if you upset someone, like I talked to my staff about the people that worked for me, how I behaved, you know, and take it on and be be able to learn from it. 
So, yeah, it's just, you have to every day take it on. I think the thing that I've learned over the years as a the neurodivergence that I mentioned makes me somewhat deep processing and sometimes I can withdraw into myself and I think the thing that I've had to learn to do is to try to quickly respond as was just said rather than to use an analogy it's you know if you can before the poisons get the psychological poison gets in too far get it out exercises help with that as was said I mean you know swimming is far more psychological and holistic for me than it is physical yes it cardios and tones but it's I can almost you know with each stroke I can feel you know crappy energies just going out going out going out and so I swim three times a week and might you know I might build it up to every second day in the next few weeks and it's just it's that way of processing it talking to people those sorts of things we're going to have crappy days where you know the world you know, unfortunately, or crappy moments or whatever it is. And so we have to just learn to deal with them and rebound as best as we can. And that doesn't deny what we might be feeling, but it says we acknowledge it and how do we work through it and then, you know, at a later date, okay, maybe with hindsight I could have done something differently. I'll give myself more choices for a similar situation in the future. Again, it comes back to that learning. So I think that would, you know, be the, the thought there. And how do I, you know, if it was me, how would I have dealt with wasabi with not screaming? I don't know. <laughs> if you don't mind if I add something, that hit me. I, I wasn't prepared for that one. But thinking about self-worth and workplace trauma, we're all going to experience workplace trauma, unfortunately, more than once. Um, so we can practice some things about putting ourselves hypothetically in, in a situation that feels traumatic, not to experience the trauma, but to think, how would I deal with it? And thinking about the toddler, if you have self-worth, but you would use your words, you might say, I feel a little bit traumatised. And that might mean that you step into the Maria space and say, I just want to talk you through why that's that's hit me like this. Um, or you might step into the Sally space and say, I'm just going to take a moment and can we resume this conversation tomorrow or this issue or I'm not sure I'm comfortable to resume this with you alone but have a think about what your likely reaction is going to need from you to support little you inside that doesn't want to have a self-worth here and live in the trauma because we can't avoid trauma but what we can do is um, reduce the the toll it takes on us um, sometimes. Thank you for your question. I think we have done time for another question. If there's anyone else who has something burning, yes. I was going to stand up, but that would be too awkward. So <laughs> My question is to Maria. Um, when you talk about changing uh, the world by being a leader, are you trying to say that you should be more of a bully or be more polite or understand everyone's opinion? And I would want all of your opinions on this. There's other ways... Yeah. That I, and I can be absolutely charming, absolutely charming. And that's part of my job. It's my success, you know, because there's a mixture of people I look after. They're all, you know, actors, directors, people who are great entrepreneurs have made a lot of money and all of a sudden they have a bit of a crisis and they need just to focus on my eyes and I say to them, do you, this is what you need to think and this is what you need to say. So I have a very powerful voice in terms of, a lot of people who have a lot to lose. Bullying is not the way to... Silence works because actors always fill the gaps. 
because they've been directed all the time. So when a journalist is asking questions, I'll always try and, if there's a space, I'll try and fill it. And I say, just don't, because that's when you'll say the thing that you don't want to say. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but, but look, you know, if my guys were here now, they'd say, she was all right, because I'm very self-critical. She was okay. She taught us a heap. She was under a lot of pressure. We had great work. We had great clients. So they didn't feel as much as I did, actually, and I'm really showing up now saying I'm a bully. There was a couple of clients that I bullied, and I'd say to them, sack me. I'd say something else, swear word, sack me. <laughs> and they wouldn't. <laughs> and then I'd say it again and again, and then don't ask me for more. You've got everything. If that's a bully, oh, I don't care. I'm fine with that. But changing the world with leadership is if we are all different and we all go our own path, people aren't going to, you know, we don't follow follow the leader, the so-called leader. It's going to be fabulous because we're all so different and all have different points of view and, and can learn from each other and have different skills and just, and if you listen to people's stories, you know, don't judge a book by its cover ever, and this is one of the best sayings ever, and absolutely listen to someone's story. And, you know, if you if you focus, you can pick up on what someone's going to be like pretty quickly, or I can. That's part of, another part of my job too. If someone's lying to you or lying to you or um, not being sincere or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, leadership is, you know, great and it's fun and go for it. And all I'd add to that, Krish, is great question. Remember your communication style interpersonally is intuitive only to you. Um, and you're all amazing and smart, so that's a broad cross-section. I push myself to try and be like an SUV, so to learn and to be able to go off-road. I've come from a place where indeed is a full sentence, you know, in the diplomatic world. That says that can convey Im immense meaning. Um, and then I've talked to farmers that are just like, you know, you know and they're the, like super, super, super intelligent. So what I would say is take the time and effort to hone and structure your communication style and ask for feedback every single time you can. The best leaders do and you get gold. If you can make it safe and normal to give you feedback, best feedback I ever got was 360-degree feedback from my team and it was was I approachable. And I ended up being quite friends with all my, this was a team of about 15, with all of them. It's always a bit like, yeah, to read it because you, you you've asked for a critique and you don't if everything's great that's a problem because mm. I'm not great at everything and one of them said you know you're you're mostly approachable but there's times when the expression on your face makes me feel like we're not friends and you don't <laughs> want to see me and you know I knew exactly what that person meant because I'd be in my office typing away in doing say board papers or something and I'm in the moment and they just walk in and they've started speaking to me before they even come through the door and I turn around and I do this, <laughs> you know, because I'm never going to get that thought back. I don't know what they've said. I've just registered that someone's talking at me and they're right here. Probably the feng shui is all bad as well because it's on my back. But I, I sort of knew exactly what they meant, but I never would have brought it to my consciousness to fix. It was so easy to fix. All I did was when I had something really important, I'd send a group email and say, I'm going to have the door closed for a while, got some urgent things to just get done. Um, if it's really important, knock on the door, wait a couple of seconds and then come in. Otherwise, door will be open by lunchtime and I'll really look forward to, I'd, I'd say good morning in the morning and look forward to catching up. 
And actually, it made my life a million times better because I, I didn't realise I was sort of doing my work expecting to be interrupted at any time. So I was actually much more efficient and happier and I didn't expose anyone to that hideous expression of <laughs> sort of said F off, you know, in all the ways that they were nonverbal communications like so much more powerful, right? So that was a bit too powerful. <laughs> yeah, a couple of things. Um, we we originally had a point on our running sheet before last week. We we're going to ask about we we're going to talk about tough leaders and we all took it off because that is just such a a stereotype of leadership and the best leadership and it, and it's obviously these next few words are very arbitrary. People, regardless of their how they were assigned at birth, their sex, their gender, whatever, who can balance what society calls masculine and feminine attributes. And I mean, the one that's been, I think, in the news recently on that is Jacinta Ardern. You know, she had that sense of compassion in so many things that she did, and yet she had a strength in in what she did as well that society, probably big inverted commas, would call masculine. And so I think that it's finding our unique balance, as has been mentioned, finding our unique mix of attributes, and we've all got them. You know, of course, let's throw out this non, you know, the stupid stereotypical ideas. There was a book around the year 2000, and I almost feel cringy saying it, why men can't listen and why women can't read roadmaps. Seriously? <laughs> Goodness me. And I, I nearly said some. I nearly caught so yours. I just find it so offensive. Absolutely. Absolutely offensive. And if I was with someone who said it, I'd, well, I wouldn't punch them. Yeah, but I'd you'd put a world wrestling entertainment hot on them for real. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, absolutely. Don't drive cars. I mean, yeah. it's a joke. Yeah. So, but it's only keeping their spirit up, you know? Absolutely. Other, those other people. Yeah. So the thing is, you know, find your, again, find your unique blend of qualities that makes you a leader in the way you are and how you are. And for me, I try as much as possible, and I think it is possible to do this quite consistently on a day-to-day -day basis. My motto is that I try in not just what I do, but how I do it is everything, what I do and how I do it, coming from a place of kindness. Mm -hmm. And we're just so brought up on this tough results-oriented leadership, which is an extreme form, again, on inverted commas, of masculinity that doesn't consider process. And when we put process and outcome together and balance them and do it from that place of kindness in, as part of our authentic selves, that is, I think, how we need to be doing more leadership. You know, the world will, it sounds cheesy, but the world will be a better place. Thank you so much for that. Well, I don't think we peaked at that Zoom session today. Um, session was absolutely fantastic. Before we finish up, though, I would like, us to consider as tables how we would sum up today's session in one word. So I want you to quickly introduce yourself to each other on the table and work out what one word you would use to describe today's session. And I'll give you uh, 90 seconds. Okay, we're back. What did we decide on this table? Who's our spokesperson? Chris Bowles. We decided that cathartic, enlightened, insightful. Fantastic. Thank you. Refreshing, fantastic. Big congratulates here in students. Ignited. Ignited. I'm learning. I'm learning. 
Yeah. Uh, real. Real. Fantastic. Great. Like lots, lots of different thoughts there. Um, I was just so inspired by these four inspiring women. So thank you very much for um, sharing your thoughts, your experiences, um, and some great quotes today too. Thank you. So thank you, Sally, Natalie, Maria, and Tinka. Would you please join me? What a great event. And I've got Christine and Robert here, who are two of the guests from the event. Christine, could you quickly introduce yourself? Sure. My name's Christine Elmer, and I'm the Executive General Manager of Communication and Marketing at Burnett Institute. I really enjoyed this afternoon's session. It was really energising. The panel brought a broad range of perspectives and experiences and they were incredibly authentic and vulnerable in the way they shared their stories. Uh, One of the panellists commented to me a few moments ago that she felt that everybody was there for the right reason and that there was uh, a really positive energy in the room that was um, being reflected back to the panellists. So it was a really great event. Um, You know, I'm full of praise for the organisers and I'd be really interested to see um, further in-person events of this nature. Uh, What inspired you the most? One of the things I found most inspiring about this afternoon's session was uh, the sense of courage among the panellists and their encouragement to us to, you know, step into our own courage and our own power and to own our own uniqueness. Thanks, Christine. Thanks so much for joining us today at the event, Robert. Can you please introduce yourself and share some of your thoughts on leadership? So I'm Robert Anderson. I have a very broad experience in the both as a C-suite executive. I had 14 of my own businesses and I also work as a coach and mentor for leaders. Qualities of a leader. Hmm, it's a big one. I think it'd be defined as someone that is self-aware, self-reflective and self-assessing so they can know their limitations, be aware of their unconscious biases and adjust their perspective accordingly. The antidote to unconscious bias is self-awareness. But I think um, doing ongoing reflective practices is, is a key to success there, even if it starts at one minute a day to take some notes down what happened during the day or, or do some breath work for one or two minutes. I usually have my coaches or mentees to do two minutes of breath work with me in my sessions just to make sure they stop the heartbeat, slow down their pulse and become present. Thanks, Robert. Great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. So what an incredible event. And Ross, what were your takeaways? Any last thoughts? Oh, look, just (laughs) getting me to mention just one is really, really difficult. But look, I think a nice one to wrap up the session was a quote from Sally who said, keep evolving and keep learning. I'm going to remember that and I'm definitely going to be sharing that with my students. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ross, and also being my partner in crime for the (laughs) event. It was just such a pleasure to work with you and produce such an inspiring event that the feedback's incredible. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you as well, Monique. 
And thank you to our listeners who have joined us today on this journey. Please visit us at iabcemena.com if you'd like to know more about the IABC AMENA region or access our on-demand webinars and podcasts or see what events we've got coming up. We hope you feel inspired to make change and please do share this podcast if you loved it and you'd like to yeah, make a difference. Thank you.